Thanks so much for joining us today on Leesburg Community Church's podcast. If you'd like more information about our church, including directions and service times, please visit leesburgcc.org. On our website, you can also find notes and daily devotionals based on this teaching. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you liked today's message. I just heard you all singing. Do you remember what the refrain of that song was? Anybody remember? Make me more like Jesus. That's a crazy statement. I hope you thought about the significance of what you were singing. It's a little bit maybe like a young basketball player asking, you know, to please be more like LeBron James, for example. That, that, that's a high standard. That's a crazy high standard. As a matter of fact, that's an insanely high standard. I could, I could ask to be more like LeBron James all day long. I don't know if you noticed. <laughs> Why are you laughing? That's hurtful. You're just saying, make me more like Jesus. That's what you sang. You said it. How in the world are you supposed to do that? I think it's a big danger we have in our churches. It, it's that we kind of develop this agnosticism. Like we're... Where we're not saying it's not true that I can be more like Jesus, but we're certainly living like it'll never happen in my lifetime. You literally just said something even greater than, I want to be more like LeBron James, yeah. And you sang it meaningfully. You are asking to be more like Jesus, which is perfect. Today we're going to be talking about how to be superhuman. And I realized in the last service, maybe I hadn't kind of hit that point enough. Because I think when we say that, many people maybe take a little bit of offense at that. Because I, I want to talk to you all today about how to be superhuman. How can you and I be superhuman? And we think of superheroes when we think of superhuman. We think of Superman. Um, and it, it feels a little bit fake, like a story, like a fairy tale. And yet my concern is we've turned our world upside down. We're, we're something that God actually wants us to do. We kind of think it's completely unrealistic. And yet things that God never asked us to do, like be like LeBron James, that's not something God ever wants for me. Yet those are the things we aspire to and we covet and we want and we're hurt and we're mad and we're angry when we don't get them and we live with this like mild or high level of depression our whole lives, clamoring for something that God never intended for us because he wants us to be superhuman. Not just regularly human. I mean, LeBron James is great, but the guy can't fly. We might say he flies because he's jumping, what, 24, 36 inches off the ground. That's not flying. But we are called to be superhuman. Do you want to be superhuman? Amen. Brother, somebody's awake. We're going to go Baptist old school on you guys. Do you want to be like Jesus? Do you or not? 
then do you want to be superhuman? There's no other way to do it, by the way. There's no other shortcut, bycut, crosscut. It doesn't exist. Jesus is divine. The Webster Dictionary defines superhuman as, and I'll try to read it so I get it exactly right. Superhuman, above the human divine, exceeding normal human power, size, or capability. Everybody wants this. You sell that, you can make lots of money. Tony Robbins has made millions of dollars because the whole world wants to be superhuman. They do. The help, self-help industry is worth billions of dollars. None of us in this room are immune. When I was growing up, I thought I was the only one who was special. Sometimes I still think that. Maybe you do too. And yet then you realize the whole world thinks they're special. Why is that? It doesn't even matter what race you are, what gender you are, where you're from, what culture you're in. Everybody is aspiring. It's what gets us out of bed in the morning. We long for something more. Those things change. Sometimes we get one thing we think we want, and then it doesn't do it for us. So we move on to something else. But we're all seeking something more. Why? Because we're made to be superhuman. And the story of the Bible is that at one point we did have superpowers. We could talk to animals, Adam and Eve, in the Garden of Eden. Adam named animals. C.S. Lewis picks up on that theme and says there's a group of animals in this place called Narnia that haven't forgotten how to speak with humans. It's a mystery. It's a wonder. But we fell. And the evidence of that fall is lived out in every depressing moment of your life and mine. When we're sitting at that desk, when we're going to that school, when we're in that relationship, and we go, there is more! And our heart breaks again and again and again and again. And cynicism creeps in and bitterness creeps in. And then you've got Christian agnostics all over this auditorium right now who are made to be superhuman, but they're just, sorry Lois, but they're just Lois Lane. Imagine what our town would be like if we truly lived that out. Make me more like Jesus. If we lived out his ways. Uh, Metropolis is where Superman lived. I had to look that up because I forgot. He lived in Metropolis. Superman did a lot in Metropolis. I want you to imagine a Metropolis with 10,000 superhumans, or supermans, if you will. Lex Luthor couldn't fight against one Superman in the end. Doomsday, another arch nemesis, could also not defeat Superman. What if there were 10,000 supermans? How many people claim to follow Christ in Loudoun County alone? Or how about the D.C. metro area? What if all those people became superhumans? What would that do to our society, to our culture? And I'm not talking about the new heroes. I'm not talking about the new superhumans because we've changed it. What's the easiest way when you can't make the mark consistently? You change it. You lower the bar. Have you noticed that's what happens to our new heroes? The heroes of today have changed. How? Remember John Wayne? Well, howdy, pilgrim. 
Remember that guy? He wa- I can't do his walk. I want to do it. I just know I'm going to kill it. This is a man who had a steely-eyed gaze. He proved it by talking slow and didn't use a lot of words. But he was never confused about right and wrong, ever. He was always ready to sacrifice himself to stand up against evil to fight for justice. We admired that. We respected that. Superman did that back in the day. All the others did too. What is the new Superman? I think the latest movie, Superman actually is the bad guy for a part of the movie. He's actually killing people, doing the exact opposite of what we think a hero should do. What about Deadpool? Venom. These guys kill bad guys, but they're not motivated by justice, by a sense of right and wrong. They're motivated by vengeance, which is just another side of the coin of selfishness. When children are little, you tell them not to strike out in anger. You say, don't do that. A child knows that not to do that. Not our new heroes, the anti-heroes. We make whole movies out of them eviscerating enemies. They don't just fight for justice. They obliterate people. We've lost the image of God. People are valuable according to the Bible because they're made by God and for God. So even if you're my enemy because the image of God rests on you, I am called to love you. What if the world was full of superheroes? What would political debate look like? I'm not saying we all have to agree. But if I assume that the image of God rests on this Democratic person, this Republican, this president, this Speaker of the House, I think about you differently. I can speak against your argument, but I can go no further. I cannot attack your person because to attack your person is to attack my God. Make me more like Jesus. Make me superhuman. This can be true. It is not just a fairy tale. It is not just a pie-in-the-sky idea. This passage that we're getting ready to dig into, and I'll warn you, it's a lot. We need about six weeks. Tim gave me about two chapters that I'm supposed to fit into. What time are we done? I need to know or I'll forget. 12, 1.30? Who said 1.30? Is it 12 o'clock? 11.15? Thank you, sir. Thank you. Um, There's a lot here. But no joke, we're getting ready to walk through a pathway that will teach us how to be superhuman. It is very practical, it is very hard, but it is very real. It literally will change our lives. It literally will cause us to be superhuman, above human, divine. You ready? Father, thank you for each person here. I pray that they would wake up, that they would fight against, this is just another moment in my day. This is a chance, Father to see change in our world as we become change agents because we are molded and we are reclaiming the image of God in us. Please speak now, for we are listening. Amen. Ephesians chapter 5 begins with, Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love. 
Just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. In the ESV that I often use, it says, therefore, be imitators of God. Our first step to becoming superhuman is something that actually does not rest with us. You all know who Meghan Markle is? Did she change her name? Was it always Meghan Markle? Because that sounds like a made-up name. But anyways, she's not made up anymore. This little girl from California is now the Duchess of Sussex, which is very cool. I even like saying Duchess of Sussex. How did she become the Duchess of Sussex? Did she uh, sign up for it? Did she petition for it? Did she lay claim to it? No. She married a prince, and in the process of becoming part of that family, she became what we know as royal. This really happened. To become a child of God is to enter into the divine family, and you literally cannot become superhuman unless you have entered the family of God. And it's a lot like what happened to Meghan Markle. Because oftentimes salvation is presented as something I choose. But it's not quite like that. Just like I couldn't today say, Duchess of Sussex sounds pretty cool. Can I be a Duke of Sussex? And then I go petition. I hire a bunch of lawyers. It's not going to work. So there was a participatory process for Meghan Markle. She fell in love with a young man, accepted his offer of marriage, and as a result of that, she has now entered into the royal family. That is why our whole message on how to be superhuman begins with the cross. The cross of Christ is both the gateway, the power, and the means whereby I can become superhuman and you can become superhuman. Whenever you see the word therefore in scripture, if you look there in chapter 5, verse 1, be imitators of God, therefore, ask yourself, what is it therefore? The author is building an argument that he's saying, based upon what I've told you, do this. What is that basis? In verse 32, he says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. The most important part of learning to become superhuman is understanding what happens when I come to Christ through the cross. The Bible teaches that Jesus shed his blood for me. It spilled down upon the cross. That Jesus was perfect and without sin. And that because of his sacrifice, when I come to the cross... I put on the righteousness of Christ. So my sin is covered by him. And I become a part of the family of God. And then I can go forth and live a superhuman life. You can't do it without it. Which is why many people are so frustrated. To begin the process of becoming superhuman is to begin with the knowledge that it was my sin that put Christ on the cross. And now to live for him 
to live superhumanly is on the basis of what Christ did for me on the cross. I've been following Jesus for a long time. And I'll tell you, um, I don't think there's any other, as a matter of fact, I know there's no other motivation. There's none. Because the next part of how to be superhuman is this. Be an imitator of God. Be an imitator of God. How do you imitate God? It begins with the cross as well. What did God do? While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ our Lord. How do I become an imitator of God when I accept that I must die to myself? If you have not died to yourself, you can't ever live for God. But friends, let me tell you something. A lot of you here have not decided to die to yourself. I know this because it's just normal. Because there's a moment where I decide to follow Jesus, but then there's about one billion moments forward where I continue to live that out in my life. I guess the best argument I could give you is this. Everything that you thought would make you happy didn't. I've come to believe with all my heart that sin, that choosing to do what I want to do instead of what God wants me to do is a lie. It always fakes me out. It's like that quote I said once in here. A gentleman who was addicted to pornography said, I can never get enough of what never satisfies me, and it never, ever satisfies me. I keep pursuing those things that I think will make me happy, but they never do. And I would say to you today, why not die then to yourself? Not a physical death. We're not talking about weird things here. We're talking about dying to my desires, my hopes, my dreams, and exchanging them for the better life that is offered to me in Christ. That is a point in time. That is a decision you and I must make. And if we don't, we will constantly come up against what I want to do when it is different than what God wants me to do. And the question is, who's going to be God? The cross only works because Jesus was God. But if I'm God, then I'm the one that has to die on the cross. Praise God, that's not true. Jesus died for me on the cross. I accept his righteousness, his holiness. It means I must be willing to daily, as Jesus said, take up my cross and follow him. What does that mean? It means every day, whatever God brings across my path, there's a moment in time where I decide, Jesus, this Netflix film is kind of cool. It's got a great storyline. I like the actors. But all the garbage that I'm going to simmer in my mind with as a result, there's something better out there. I'm going to choose something better because I believe it is better. And slowly over time, it's not even like, for example, how many people here are craving a Twinkie? At some level, Twinkies are delicious. They really are. I remember after soccer practice, we would crush, um, what are those cupcakes that come in a big pack by the same company, Hostess Cupcakes? Ho-Hos, maybe? Or, oh, what, the, what's the rolly ones? We killed those things, too. Those are awesome as well. But you felt terrible after you ate them. 
They're awful. I literally have no desire to eat one right now. I've discovered better things. See, many of us keep getting sick in our lives, sick with all sorts of things, sick with unmet desires, unmet dreams, sick of, hopefully I remember my message, um, <laughs> sick of things that I thought would make me happy and fill me up, but they don't. That's what sin is, and that's what sin does. And so when I talk about being an imitator of God, let's go ahead and look at this passage here. In verse 8, you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1. Verse 11, have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness. It says nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, for it is light that makes everything visible. Verse 15. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise but as wise, making the most of every opportunity. Do not be foolish. Understand what the world, Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. I want to be an imitator of God in my inner life. I also want to be an imitator of God in my family life, which is why here in verse 22, actually, let me start with verse 21, because we always start with 22, but 21 covers it all. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. How am I supposed to be superhuman? Because when my wife has made me angry at times in the past, I am fairly certain I hate her. That's a terrible thing to say. But you know you've had the feeling. You're just too ashamed to say it out loud. But it's a big fat lie. I know that. You know that. But in that moment of time, what causes me to push aside that strong feeling and that strong emotion? The cross. Because Jesus taught me how to pray. And he said, Father, forgive me my sin as I forgive those who sin against me. That is a superhuman culture. It doesn't matter what makes you angry. It doesn't matter what rights you think you have, because in front of the cross, they are temporary rights. They mean nothing. It's like you, if you, I had chapstick this morning. If one of you stole my chapstick, I'd be like, I, I'm kind of okay with that. It's all right, I'll, I'll get another one. I'm sorry you're using used chapstick, but it's not a big deal. Why do these things so irritate us? Because they're more than just a thing to us. They're our identity. There's something that is supposed to make me happy, and you're trying to rob that from me. But when in the cross I have died to myself out of reverence for Christ, out of the knowledge that whatever happens in this universe, the only thing I truly can't take is God's judgment. Because that is an eternal death. Then everything else becomes easier. Make me more like Jesus. Make me superhuman. You can do that. You must do that if you will ever realize who you are meant to be in Christ, if you are ever to rise above what it means to be human, anybody can forgive someone who says, I'm sorry first. 
that's easy. Or mostly easy. But it's really hard to do the first time. You can do it, though. You can do it when you know how big fat your debit is with God. And you're like, oh, God. On that, on that basis, out of reverence for Christ, I can do it. Out of reverence for Christ, I love you. President Trump, stuff you do, I think it's insane, but I forgive you. I don't have to live with that bitterness, anger, hatred. You might not understand where I'm coming from, but I forgive you, whoever you are. It's all right. It doesn't mean we give up and check out. It means that we don't hold anger and bitterness. There's still a place for discussion of ideas, but it's not filled with this vitriol that says my identity is tied to my rightness. My identity is protected at the cross. And so I want to be an imitator of God in my inner life. I want to be an imitator of God in my family life. I want to be an imitator of God in my work life. We are running out of time. But I can summarize everything that Paul says to wives and husbands, children and parents, slaves and masters. It all falls under the cross. It begins and ends with the cross. Out of reverence for Christ, I can rise above. I can be superhuman. There's a difference between trying and training. And that's our third point. How can you and I, the third point, how can you and I be strong in the Lord? It begins, superhumanity begins with what? Becoming a child of God. The second point is we must become an imitator of God. Is anybody paying attention? Number one, we have to become a child of God. Number two, we must become an imitator of God. And let's remember how huge this is. I am called to imitate Jesus. That's what God expects of me. Why? Because it's good for me. It's the best way to live. And if you haven't settled that out, that's a whole other discussion, but that's super important. And the third one is to be strong in the Lord. I think they're all connected very closely. Let's look at um, chapter 6, verse 10. Finally, and if you're in your pew Bible, it's 1824, page 1824. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Um, can anybody show me where to get the armor of God? Because evidently this is what we need to be strong in the Lord. Where do you get the armor of God? Well, let's, can we please start taking the Bible seriously? Like it's actually trying to teach us something how to live? Because if we don't and deal with the hard questions we have, then we're going to miss it completely. We're going to miss out, and it's a shame because it's the path to life. So how can you and I put on the whole armor of God? Here we are in America. It's 2019. The Bible is saying to us, put on the armor of God. Can you find it on Amazon? Can somebody check? If you can, I don't think it's what it's talking about, whatever it is. Actually, I bet somebody's selling the armor of God on Amazon, actually. I bet you could find it, but it's a fake. Don't buy it. <laughs> How do you put on the armor of God? 
yet that's what we're meant to do to be strong in the Lord. And that's why I begin by saying there's a difference between trying and training. It's super easy if you've ever worked out with weights to kind of figure this out. You know that when you first start working out, you can't just start by benching, let's say, 200, 250 pounds. Not even really 100 or 150 maybe. You start wherever you are, right? And you don't wait two weeks and then put on two 45-pound plates on each side. You don't do it. It could actually kill you, depending on who you are. It really could. It could crush your neck and you'd die. But for whatever reason, when it comes to following Jesus and when it comes to becoming superhuman, so many of us have been taught or we're actually too lazy to think hard about it. And, and we, we just think we can go do it. I, I want to I be strong, so I'm going to go bench 250 pounds. And then we get crushed. And then we're like, well, Jesus doesn't work. That's, you know, and then maybe we try it again because we hear another speaker on Sunday. And we're like, hey, I want to do it. And then we go try it again. And it boom, again. There's a huge difference between trying and training in our lives as well as in discipleship. There are some things that are meant to be accessed through a process of training that many Christians over the centuries have come to call spiritual disciplines. And that's in large part what's happening here. I've got some great quotes for you that fell on the floor. So I'll just, oh, here we go. Thank you, sir. Thank you very much. And I blew up. Thank you, Eddie. Dallas Willard wrote it this way. He said, many people think of Jesus as our Savior, as the one who will get us into heaven. So the question often is, have I accepted Jesus as my Savior? But we never ask the question, have I accepted Jesus as my teacher? In relation to spiritual disciplines, the most helpful distinction is the difference between trying to do something and training to do something. And I know that it sounds like a lot of pastors, maybe including myself, often stand up before you and say, stop it, stop it, stop it, stop it. And you're like, okay, I'll try. But you've never really developed your muscles. You've never put on the armor of God. What does that mean? This, this whole list here is incredibly practical. In the short time we have left, we're going to do our best to try to flesh it out and open it up just a little bit. But it's incredibly practical. It's even sequential. And this, you know, you don't have to be like a rocket scientist to think through these things. If you get alone with your Bible, ask God to open his word to you, and you come to it humbly, the Holy Spirit says in the Bible, it's living and active. You'll, it'll begin to open itself up to you. You'll, you'll understand. Let me explain what I mean. So are you strong in the Lord by putting on the armor of God? Well, one is, do you have the belt of truth? That's the first item that's listed for us. The belt of truth. What does that mean? Do you tell yourself the truth? Or are you a living liar? Any parents in this room? Could you raise your hands? Anybody have kids? Look at that, a lot of you. Have you ever thought this? Nobody's around usually, and there generally are screaming kids at that moment. And you tell yourself, I am literally the worst parent that ever lived. I, I know I've had that feeling. I I I've felt I am honestly the worst parent that has ever lived. Don't raise your hand on this one. Have you ever thought to yourself, I'm stupid? I'll never be good enough. 
Nobody will ever love me. I will never, ever really feel true love. That's a lie. All those things were a lie from the pit of hell. It is a fat lie. How can you look at the cross and know that there is a divine God who sacrificed his one and only son so that you could have life, so that I could have life, and that we would ever be able to think that we're somehow worthless or worth nothing, or that somehow we'll never know love? It's a lie. It's the belt of truth. Some of us say this lie. To be happy, I need that next job. To be happy, I need that next relationship. I truly can't be really happy unless I have that thing. That's called idolatry. And it's a lie. I love you. That's why I'm telling you it's true. It really is true. Because if you get that thing, have you ever heard the joke that marriage is a lot like screen doors? The flies on the inside want to get outside and the flies on the outside want to get inside? My grandparents had a farm once, and the first time I heard that, I thought, that always happens. All the flies inside the house are trying to get out, and all the flies on the outside are trying to get in. Those things aren't meant to make us happy. God alone is our source of love and light, and it's real. It's not just fake, like, let me sing praise songs all day. I have my limits on how many praise songs I can sing. But the presence of God? experiencing the wonder of a relationship with him? I'm never alone. My friends, I'm never alone. Sometimes I find I'm alone, I think I'm alone, and then I just start talking to him. I'm not alone. You don't get there overnight. You don't develop that kind of relationship with him overnight, but it is there. It is available. If you begin your training program, it can be true for you too. Too many of us are trying to be superhuman. We're trying to be good Christians. We're trying to be more like Jesus, but we are not training for it. And showing up for an hour on Sunday does not count, my friends. Your job, I'm sure it's wonderful, but it's worth far less than eternity. You'll have it for, maybe it feels like forever sometimes, but it's not forever. But if you told your boss, I'm going to show up for one day a week for a couple hours on that day, and I should be able to crush it, it's not going to fly. If you join the military and, and, and when you sign up, you tell the recruiter, hey, I just want you to know I'm totally into this thing. I'm, I'm all in, baby. I'm so excited. Woo! Go Marines. And, and yet I only have a couple hours Sunday to kind of put into this whole thing. I hope that you can work around my schedule. It's just not going to work. It won't work. And why do we think that in the area of most importance in our lives, that if I read my Bible for 15 minutes three times a week, I ought to be feeling the effects of it. I'm telling you in love, it doesn't work. And God made the universe, and it doesn't work anywhere else out there either. So why do we think that the laws of the universe somehow change when it comes to my Christian life? This isn't meant to be mean. This is meant because so many of us are frustrated and we're discouraged and we're sick and tired of feeling defeated. And what I'm telling you is there's paths that are very accessible. They're not metaphysical. They're the same ones you use to get fit, to learn a new skill, to get your degree in college. It's called regular study. 
application over time, and you learn and you grow. Be an imitator of God in your inner life, in your family life, in your outer life, and put on the full armor of God. The belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness reinforces our knowledge of the truth by action. The readiness given by the gospel of peace is one of freedom. If you've ever tried to run in heavy snow boots, it's not a fun time. Nike airs are much better. Yet so many of us without the gospel of peace clearly in our hearts and minds are trying to run the race of life as if our works alone depend on our success or success depends on our works alone. But the gospel of peace does not teach us that. So that's why it's another part of the armor of God that I get to play the game of life with the full knowledge that I've already won. You know how much freedom that gives you? You get to try crazy stuff that you would never try normally. I, I enjoy rock climbing. It's like the difference between climbing with a rope or without a rope. I mean, you can climb with a rope. It's just, you can die. It's scary. I would never climb as high as I try to climb without a rope. That's what the gospel of peace gives to us. The shield of faith. Add to your faith knowledge, says 2 Peter 1.5. Faith is a muscle. I love these uh, old kung fu movies. I had a thing in high school, I guess, that kind of stuck with my brain. But you ever see the movies where it happened in Kung Fu Panda, too, it's, so it's not just the old movies, but where you get the young person who wants to be a great ninja, and so they start learning the ninja stuff, and then they're supposed to go visit the old master. And they think they're pretty awesome at this point. You know, they can do whatever. They get up there, and then the old master does something with his pinky or with his hand, and it just, like, obliterates everything. Friends, that is very true in following Jesus. I often like to see where people are. They say they've been a Christian for 20 years. What's that look like in their life? If you've been a Christian for a long time and you're getting more bitter, something's broken. You're like the kid that bought the gi at the karate class when he was in junior high, but never really showed up to practice. But you have the gi. So what? I have a gi. Look how cool I am. Watch out. Hiya. You know, it's a joke. Don't be a joke. There's training we can do that lets us enter in. Put on the whole armor of God. There's a lot we could talk through. All of this stuff is very practical. I wish we had more time. But, but what I want to maybe open up for us today, Leesburg, Leesburg Community Church, could be filled with superheroes, literally. It's our destiny. It's something we sing about. It's something we pray for. But it will not be realized merely through trying or wanting. It will require our full training. And that's good news. It means we don't have to wait for Jesus' magic fairy pixie dust to fall upon us and somehow that's it. I'm going to do something different today. I know we're starting to run out of time. We're going to do an altar call. I don't have an organ or else I'd use it. Anybody who's been in church a while, you know what organs are for. But I do want us to reflect and think. So what is going to happen when, when we pray? Um, I, I cut out for you super, super cheesy uh, capes. Don't try to wear them. 
But I hope that maybe when you go home today, that you'll think about it, about whether or not you've chosen to be superhuman, whether or not you have become a child of God, whether or not you will imitate God in your inner life, in your family life, in your outer life, and whether or not you are becoming strong in the Lord by putting on the full armor of Christ and truly thinking through what that means. I have a Superman shirt under this. I was going to take it off in some dramatic fashion, but but that's what we are. We are called to be superhuman. Our world is desperate for it. As we pray right now, will you ask God and talk to him about whatever the Holy Spirit is teaching you? And if you want, I'm going to put these up here. You can grab one on your way out. And please, think about your training program. Is it up to snuff? Think about what's going on in your inner life, family life. Are there weaknesses you want to shore up? And then do it. Father, thank you so much. I am just so privileged that you have given me life. That you have allowed me to learn another way to live. A whole new system for being human. Superhuman, Lord, really. I pray for my friends here this morning, and there are some of them that are teetering on the edge of commitment. And maybe they've been there a long time, and that gets old. It's tiring, it's frustrating, it's discouraging, it's lame. And it makes us bitter inside. It makes us very cynical. Breakthrough by the power of your Holy Spirit this morning. Breakthrough by your Holy Spirit's power and change us. Awaken us, O God, to the reality that is ours in Christ. If there are any who have not believed and who say, Today, I want to join the family. I accept that offer of bridal engagement, of becoming part of the family of God, the royal family. May they do that this morning, Lord. There is no day like today. There is no moment like this moment. And why would we want to waste more time? Life is so brief. And the needs are so great. By the power of your Holy Spirit, I pray that you would come among us and change us. Bless us, Lord. Let us know that we're not alone. And that you promise that as we begin this journey of becoming superhuman, you will never leave us and you will never forsake us. I pray your blessing upon this people. May the God of peace be with us. You can stay in your chair as long as you like. I'm going to put these up here in spaces, and if you would like to take them, please do.